we are very tight when it comes to vessels, to equipments, to everything else. So if we have another geopolitical issues that the, the war in Middle East, you know, spread out, then we are in real pain. A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome back to The Chemical Show, where chemicals means business. Today, I am speaking with Fareed Tavalderi, who is the Managing Director at Nuco Logistics. Fareed has a wealth of experience in chemicals and marine logistics, as well as some other places. And he is here today to talk about what's happening in shipping, really with a focus on the impact of the Red Sea, Panama Canal, and more. So Fareed, welcome to The Chemical Show. Good to be here today, Victoria. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me. So let's just start by telling us, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in the shipping industry. Well, that's an interesting story. Uh, my background is in finance and in previous life, I was involved with the hospitality industry. So managing hotels, acquiring new properties, managing restaurants and nightclubs, and even was involved with the transition of a casino in Vegas. But uh, Nushan and I, we started uh, Nuclear Logistics back in 2008. And initially, uh, Nushan was pretty much carrying the load till uh, Nuclear could stand on its own. And in 2014, that was the time that we realized that I need to join the company. Even though finance for different industries and different companies is pretty much the same, but it was a whole different industry for me. So it's like going back to school and learning the new lingo and learning about all the variables that impacts the logistics industry. Of course, with COVID pandemic happening, it was like a crash course for all of us to learn more about it. Even though I've been involved with nuclear logistics since 2008, but I got really heavily involved starting to 2014. And I spent a lot of time learning, talking to our vendors, to our clients. And of course, Nushin was my uh, TA. So definitely I learned a lot and I still, every year I learn new things about this industry. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. And for those listeners who don't know, Farid is married to Nusheen, Nusheen Shamsili, who is the CEO of Nuco Logistics. So basically his wife is- I'm my boss. There you go. Yeah. Oh, you're your boss. Okay. Yes. <laughs> And, and Nusheen's been on the chemical show a couple of times, so I will link her episode so that we can go back and listen to those episodes if you're interested. So you touched on uh, just some of the challenges in COVID, which I think, you know, so many supply chain related and marine logistics related challenges due to COVID, especially in that 2020 to 2022 time period, we seem to be getting back to normal, right? I think I heard from so many people in 2023 that, okay, things are lining out, we're getting back to normal. And now 
that is not the case. So we've got challenges with the Red Sea, the Suez Canal, and of course the Panama Canal as well. So let's start with the Red Sea. Can you just provide an overview of what's happening there and how it's affecting the industry? Sure. Just to summarize how we ended up here, of course, the war between Hamas and Israel happened and the Hamas, their supporters and the proxies of Iran, they started making some noise and we had skirmishes in Lebanon, in Iraq, and of all the proxies, Houthis in Yemen seems to be the most active one. And they started attacking container shipments that goes through the Suez Canal. And that kind of put a stop to the commerce through that the Suez Canal. And of course, U.S. and allies, they start attacking the Houthis in Yemen. And we've seen some reduction in their attack. But basically, all major shipping lines, they have stopped the route through Suez Canal. And they've basically gone around Africa, going through Cape of Good Hope to get to their destination in Europe and uh, east coast of U.S. Even though only like 12% of U.S. import comes through Suez Canal, but because of the uncertainty, it has an impact on the global stage. So that's basically where we stand right now in regard to Suez Canal. Right. And, and obviously the Suez Canal, much like the Panama Canal, um, you know, it's intended to help streamline that shipping. So as people and, and vessels have to go not through the Suez Canal, but around the Cape of Good Hope. Is that right? Yes. It adds to the shipping time, does it not? Correct. So on average, it adds 10 to 14 days to the tide that it travels through that area. What it happened was initially when the hoodies started attacking, there was a shock to the system because all of a sudden they stopped all these container ships stopped. But it took the shipping industry to a while to adjust their inventory, basically move fleets around. And they had some idle vessels that they brought into their network. If I can back off a little bit, most shipping lines, they were flush with cash. So all of a sudden they started adding, ordering a lot of new vessels. The latest number I saw was like additional 30% capacity to their existing fleet. Wow. So of course, some of it was to get rid of their old vessels and these new vessels to be in the compliance with the new IMOs. So about 10% of the 30% that they were ordering, they're coming on board in 2024. So the timing of it was okay. perfect. So in a sense, they could bring these new vessels to their network and instead of getting rid of the old vessels, they're keeping them in service. The initial shot that the system got, that we're pretty much past that point. But the challenge remains that number one, for each shipping line, for each ship, if they expected to use that ship like 10 or 12 times round trip per year, because of the right. additional time, that is going to be reduced to five or six times a year. So all of a sudden, the return wow. on investments will be much lower. So uh, I don't foresee too much increases in rates uh, like we've seen during COVID, but the reduction in rates that we had experienced last year, I don't foresee that. There are some GRIs in place that they opted like $1,000 TEUs, but with our clients, what we've seen is like $200 or $400 depending on destination. 
Okay. Crease. So I'm going to interrupt you here real yes. quick, Fareed. What if, so what is a GRI? Uh, general rate increase. Okay. So basically uh, just an increase that they, that increase your rate. clients it's are like a to temporary see. increase. So rather than increasing their rates by $500, this is like a temporary increase and that's well, where they uh, look, look into it. But what happens is for all these GRIs, they need to submit their requests. And then FMC, Federal Maritime Commission, they have 30 days to approve it. But because of the emergency here, FMC was approving it, basically waiving the 30-day notice. So all these G are in place for January and February. And but other than the GRI, going back, we haven't seen huge increases in rates as we had seen right after COVID. But by the same token, we tell our clients don't expect like a huge discounts in rates because of the challenges that the shipping lines face right now. Right. So a couple of things here for Reed. I what I number one, what I had not appreciated was that um that there was actually excess capacity from a shipping perspective. Because um I don't know, it seems like it I knew it had gotten tight and then it had gotten looser. But um the fact that many of the shipping companies had vessels that they could keep in service and add to service has certainly helped, which is probably why, frankly, as a consumer, we're not seeing the you know, challenges that we saw like back in 2020, 21, when in, in our inability to get the products we wanted. So certainly the intermediates, the chemical companies and others may be seeing that, but that's, um, that's pretty interesting. And then the second piece that the base rates you're seeing are staying flat for now, but it's just that we've got surcharges applied temporarily and we don't really know how temporary that exactly. is. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that for a while, um, it, it sounds like the, the vessels are working their way out, but I also had heard that containers themselves got very tight again. Is that what you're seeing as well? Yes. We're seeing some shortage in equipments like ISO tanks. So that's a combination of because of a situation in Fort Suez Canal and also seasonal because of the Chinese New Year, you have a lot of containers in certain areas and then they need to move back to other areas. So because it takes 14 days, additional days for these ships to get from one port to another port, of course, these containers are sitting on the ship rather than in their destination. So definitely the tightness, I would say, of the equipments will remain in place because even though we have additional vessels, we don't have additional containers or chassis or mm. things like that. The restriction and the tightness on equipments will remain in place. But with the Chinese New Year behind us, that to some extent, that should remedy itself. But what I tell everyone is, even though we have additional vessels in place and the shipping industry has been able to cope with this new challenge pretty well, considering the challenges that we face, but we're very tight when it comes to vessels, mm -hmm. to equipments, to everything else. So if we have another geopolitical issues that, uh, you know, the, the war in Middle East spread out, then we are in real, in a really pain area mm -hmm. that right now that we, everybody needs to deal with. Our recommendation to everyone is to plan, plan, plan. It's, I know everyone wants to kind of last year, everyone had excess inventory. So nobody wanted to order anything. And it was like, if we need it, we order it, we get it right away. That's not the case this year. We know most shippers, they try to have a 30 day inventory on hand just to be on the safe side as a precaution, as an insurance. 
So right. we definitely recommend our clients to have adequate inventory in place and have secondary and third option for their shipments because you never know from blank sailing or some other geopolitical thing happens or lack of equipment, things could go away. Yeah, we're yeah, we're kind of one crisis from another crisis, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so your mention of having um adequate supply on hand, I asked within the chemical community, um, I reached out and asked people, okay, so how are you handling this Red Sea crisis and, and the impact that it's had on shipping? And that was one of the feedbacks that came back as people are moving a little bit from, you know, there was a certain amount of just in time, right? That we've gotten to, I think everybody was, especially 2023, everyone was so focused on cash management. There was a de-stocking trying to reduce the inventories in place. And now what we're seeing, and I picked this up at ACI where I was recently, and also, as I said, in the chemical community, just asking people that are part of that, and they are starting to increase their safety stocks Mm -hmm. a little bit. So being much more mindful that, boy, an extra 14 days requires more product, but also, as you pointed out earlier, we're really one crisis away Mm -hmm. from a real crisis and critical situation. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So let's turn over and look at the Panama Canal because mm-hmm. that's our next big critical shipping channel. Yes. And it seems like at times we get mixed answers and yet it's clear that the availability of transit via the Panama Canal has actually decreased by 30 to 40 percent versus a year ago. I actually came upon a something probably that you guys use all the time, some tool online and I'll, I will find it and link it because I don't recall the name of it, but actually showed daily shipments through the Panama Canal. And it was fascinating just to see that significant drop. So clearly it's an issue. Can you talk more about what's going on with the Panama Canal and how companies are responding? Sure. This year in Panama, they had a really dry season. It seems every May is like their monsoon season. And the last year they didn't have adequate rain. So all of a sudden the water reserve that they need to work the locks at the Panama Canal doesn't work as efficiently as it's supposed to be. All of a sudden the number of vessels that can go through canal has been reduced. The tonnage has been reduced. So all of a sudden there is another kink in the, in the geopolitical issues that we have here now. So there are some, uh, solutions here. One in Panama, they had this big project of additional water reservoir, uh, they were supposed to build and it was like over $2 billion and they decided to forego on that. So, uh, unfortunately that project, I'm sure they're trying to get the project up and running, but like anything else is going to take a while to come online. So we're all waiting for next May and see whether they're going to have adequate rain or not. We have plenty of rain here in California this year. So I'm not sure whether that translates into rain in Panama or not. So that is the second thing that we need to look at is come May, are they going to have adequate rain to replenish the water reservoir that they had in place? Now, I came across this documentary a couple of weeks ago, which was rather interesting. So in Mexico. So all those Latin American countries, all of a sudden they see, oh, Panama has issues. So how can we take advantage of this? And there are a lot of different projects. Everybody's talking about it, but 
the most pros- promising project is in Mexico. There's a, it's called CIIT. Of course, the translation is Intro-Oceanic Corridor of Mexico. Sorry, I had to look because I keep forgetting the name. Yeah, no, I wouldn't uh, remember that. So this is basically a railroad that connects the East Coast to West Coast, so Atlantic to Pacific. And this railroad was in place before Panama came on board. They were using that for a few years. So basically, ships come on either Atlantic or Pacific. They offload. They put on a train. It crosses the country, goes to the other side, and then they load on the other side and take it to their destination. So actually, it was working fine. But with Panama Canal opening up, then everybody just decided to go through Panama Canal because it was easier. You didn't have to deal with unloading and offloading and so on and so forth. With the new president that, of Mexico that came on about five years ago, he decided to get that railroad open. So they worked on it, they replenished it, they rebuilt it. So the railroad is working now. This year they started the passenger train and now they're working on basically making the ports on either side of the railroad up and running so the ships can come in and offload and on. They're supposed to open up by end of this year. And so far, they've been going strong. Definitely, I wouldn't expect in 2025, it'd be like everybody uses that, but definitely it would be like a complement to Panama Canal because sure. it's like, it's close enough and it only takes nine hours to cross from east to west. So it's not, it's not too cumbersome. That's faster uh, than I would have anticipated. Exactly. It's like the narrow side of yeah. the uh, Mexico. And uh, so those ports are supposed to be up and running by end of this year. I would say it takes a year for the shipping lines to do their due diligence and see how viable that option is. But with the challenges in Panama, they definitely look closely at it and it might become an alternative to Panama Canal. But for this year, we got to cross our fingers for May and see whether they get adequate rain. If not, then this challenge for Panama Canal remain in place. Yeah. So what are companies doing today if they can't utilize the Panama Canal? Because obviously capacity is reduced. Um, and product still needs to move. So how are companies and shippers moving this product? They're using smaller ships to deal with the tonnage issues, and they're giving enough themselves enough time to do the waiting in line and so on and so forth. But there is also a railroad right next to Panama Canal that they, what Mexico is planning to do, they can do it in Panama as well. These are all the alternatives they're using. The other option is to go all the way down to Argentina, because that, but that is like a really long and nobody wants to take that route. So between right. the railroad right next to Panama and, or basically a lot of shippers coming to West Coast or East Coast and just getting on the rail and hauling their cargo from East to West. So not the yeah. best options, but there are options available. But once yeah. again, it's so a lot more marine or a lot more rail movement, rail versus movement marine but movement. once again, it adds to the time between Suez Canal and Panama Canal, it's still happening, but it takes much longer to get your cargo from one point to another. Right. So what are the biggest questions that you're getting from your customers? Obviously, you've been dealing with, and you guys deal with logistics and marine challenges all the time. But as we sit here in 2024, what's on people's minds? What's on your customers' minds? Initially, it was like prices because all of a sudden, because of the soft, as you mentioned, the soft market last year, you could find some good, uh, good options. 
but that was like out the window this year. And number two is like lack of equipment. As I mentioned, is uh, isotanks right now we have issues with, depending on which market they want to ship it to. And as we tell them, it's have second plan, third plan, fourth plan to just back up because there's a good possibility that the, your scheduled vessel may not depart on the scheduled date. We tell them adequate inventory and uh, plan accordingly. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, and then, you know, we maybe touched on this already, but should we expect normalization this year? You know, what's the likelihood of us getting back to kind of business as usual, so to speak? You never say never, but in all reality is a market doesn't expect Suez Canal to open up this year because even though, as I mentioned earlier, the hoodies have basically, their capabilities have been diminished because of the furnitures that were made by U.S. and its allies, but they still can create havoc. And when you're not 100% sure, nobody wants to touch that area. And as a point of reference, the Six-Day War back in 1967 between Israel and Egypt and Syria, even though it was only six days, of course, Suez Canal was shut down, but it took seven years for it to open up. I'm not saying it's going to wow. take seven years for Suez Canal to open up again, but things went go wrong, they shut down immediately, but to yeah. get back to normal, as we've seen recently after COVID, it takes a while. I would tell our clients not to have their hopes high for Suez Canal opening up this year. It could happen, but we'll just cross our fingers and see how it goes next year. If there's a peace treaty in between Israel and Hamas, they, and things go back to normal, then yes, by end of this year, we should see uh, opening up the Suez Canal. But so far, we don't see that, unfortunately. Yeah. And then we're all supposed to pray for rain, pray for the monsoon in Yeah, for rain in month of May. And yes, let's see how that goes. Because if at least Panama Canal is back to its capacity, then at least kind of alleviate some of the challenges that we face right now. Yeah. And, and Farid, for you and your team at NUCO, how are you guys adapting to this? And what do you see as the year ahead for you? Because you're obviously a service provider working closely with a variety of shippers, with the shipping companies and, and really helping solve these issues. You know, what are you guys looking forward to? Interesting. This year, I'm looking for the organization that actually produces this uh, report, the Global Port Tracker. They uh, predict that the U.S. imports for the first year, for the first half of this year is going to increase over last year. So for example, in February, the year-over-year -year increase was 23%. So if you compare That's February 24 versus 23, there's an increase of 23%. And they predict the same thing in March and April, not 20%, but 5% and 6% respectively. The outlook in U.S. economy is strong. And uh, the issue with the inventory that uh, everybody faced last year have been resolved to some extent. So all of a sudden, everybody's basically gearing up to import more products. So everybody wants to import more. We have issues with, as we discussed, with our equipments and vessels and the timing. So hence going back and telling everyone plan, plan accordingly, because everything is going to take much longer than 
we are used to from last year. Then we hear about GRIs uh, increases. We hear about lack of equipment. So our team is literally dealing with the challenges on a regular basis. But what we pride ourselves is we are, we might be better or bad news, but in, we will inform our clients of the challenges that they face and we come up with some options for them. But that's what we tell everyone is like plan, 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 because this year is going to be a challenging year. Not as bad as COVID, not as bad as what we faced after a pandemic, but everything is tight. So buckle up. And that's a great final statement there. Fareed, thank you for joining us today on The Chemical Show. Really appreciate you sharing your insight and expertise. Well, thanks for having me. It was enjoyable. Always, I enjoy talking to you, Victoria. And thanks for having me today. Absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening. Keep listening, keep following, keep sharing, and we will talk again soon. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.